Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, my Rossifarians, to another weekly episode of Rossifari Zoo News, where you get the latest news from the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation organizations, and, um, you know, weird animal facts. Uh, yeah, so this is, this is going to be a fun episode. It won't be as cool as last week where we managed to get through an entire week without any bad or sad news, because after all, we are talking about conservation and, and sadly that's needed because sometimes sad things happen, but, uh, it's okay. Still have lots of good stuff and a, a couple of less good things, but also a lot of really weird animal facts this week. I'm, I'm pretty excited to get to other news, which normally gets short shrift, but isn't going to today. So that's fun. Speaking of fun, um, I am still in Lancaster doing great balls of fire and having a great time doing it. Not only is the show great and my bandmates great and all of that, but, um, well, I made a new friend, y'all. It's pretty exciting. And I think my new friend might have made a new friend. Or is going to have dinner soon? Okay, so that's weird. But the thing that I am talking about is Benjamin, my new friend. Benjamin is a spider who lives in the room where I am sleeping. Uh, at our housing here. And um, I named him Benjamin, which is kind of weird because we have a Ben in the band, but hey, whatever. And uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about my buddy Ben. He's been hanging out here since... Uh, day- no, I have to call him Benjamin. Otherwise, I'm just talking about my bass player and saying that he's hanging out on the ceiling of my room, which is weird. But yeah, I'm excited about my buddy Benjamin. But when I came home tonight, um, there was a little spider on a web hanging out really close to Benjamin and I I'm he's like weaving and like making web but I don't quite know what's going to go on with that situation Benjamin's right over there watching it and I'm just excited about this and you may wonder why am I telling you about a spider that is living in my room right now well the first reason is I tell you guys what's going on in my life and I'm actually really excited about Benjamin right now because I am that much of a nerd. What would you expect from a guy who hosts an animal podcast? Um, But there's another reason. And I know I've mentioned this on the pod once before, I think, but I, I love sharing this. So if you don't know this, did you know that we have domesticated house spiders Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean? What that means is, and this is kind of the sad part of it, but a lot of the spiders that you think that you're helping out by not squishing, which is still the right choice, but by, um, you know, sliding a glass over them or something and and putting them outside – they're not actually able to survive. The The best thing that they can do is quickly find a way back into your house or someone else's because there are whole breeds of spiders that got so used to living in houses, attics, basements, whatever, 
uh, that they're not really cut out for life in the wild anymore. It's kind of like how sometimes a rescued sea turtle can't be released into the wild. We've done that with whole generations of spiders. And so um, I'm telling you about Benjamin, both because I love Benjamin and also because I wanted to let y'all know that um, if I take Benjamin right now and take him outside and put him on a nice plant and say, there you go, buddy, it's okay. You can't be in my house, but you can live out here. Spider should be in the wild, Benjamin would probably die. And uh, yeah, I I just wanted to share that fact with y'all. Sorry if you're a person who regularly puts spiders outside. Maybe they're finding little cracks and coming back in and then you don't know it and and they're living. Maybe that's what's happening. But yeah, we have accidentally, just by being humans, domesticated some spider species, which I think is fantastic. Speaking of fantastic, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right, so a quick reminder that um, this is a partially crowdsourced news program. So uh, if you would like to help me and you see stories that you think might be good for a future Zoo News episode, then feel free to tag me in them. Uh, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Ross Safari, uh, TikTok, at Ross Safari Pod. And, uh, you know, you can also DM them to me or email me the stories, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah, if I, if I get your story, even if I don't use it, I'll say your name to say thanks at the end of the episode. So you'll get to hear your name on a podcast, which is cool, I guess. Anyway, and um, one other thing I need to tell you about social media stuff before we, we get rolling here, which is just this. Look, I don't care, honestly, about numbers and things going viral or not. I literally have posted two videos of the same red panda eating, one of which went wildly viral and has 80-some thousand views, and one of which has like 3,000 views. And I don't, I don't care. I understand that algorithms have a lot to do with everything. It's fine. That being said. I recently visited the Bronx Zoo, and I got to see Polly the tree kangaroo and her joey. I've posted one photo so far. There will be more. And um, it's ridiculousness, the cutest thing you've ever seen. But I took a video of Polly eating a big leafy green while the joey is sticking out of the pouch, also eating the green. It is possibly the cutest thing 
anyone has ever seen. And for some reason, it's just not gaining any traction. And I don't care. I don't worry about new followers. I don't blah, 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 whatever. But if you are on Instagram or on TikTok, go find this video, share it, spread it, give it love, give it likes, because I want the world to be aware of how amazing tree kangaroos are. This is one of the coolest things I've ever seen while at a zoo. And so I want the rest of the world to see it. It's killing me that it hasn't gone viral. Not for me but for Polly and the Joey, I promise. Okay, anyway, enough of this wildly long intro. Let's get to the news. One, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey. Treat kangaroo. It's two news, yeah. All right, so we're going to start off with the thing that annoys me, but I always, always have to talk about, which is that USA Today has released their 10 best lists, and that includes the 10 best zoos in the country. I'm going to read you the list. I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the, 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 the top 10 zoos in the country according to this, but here's my friendly reminder. I know I've talked about it before. It's one of my biggest rants, but I kind of hate this whole thing. It's just done to get clicks to the USA Today site. They do have a panel of experts pick the zoos that are eligible to be in the top 10, but then it is just up to the zoos to ask people to vote for them. And most zoos don't ask people to vote for them. You're going to notice a glaring omission, and that's because they just don't care and they just don't ask. Meanwhile, other zoos do ask. And in some cases, it's not even the zoos themselves. As a matter of fact, I am a member at the number one zoo in the country this year, according to this. And I can tell you that they have a Facebook page for their members. And there was one member in particular who posted the link every day and begged people to go and vote. And they did in droves. And of course they won. That dude made it happen, which like, awesome. Good for him. Awesome. Cool. Whatever. But you know, this is a zoo that I love. I'm a member. I support them. They're on the pod all the time. New episode with them coming soon. And um, I still just, you know, it, it was because of that dude. If if he happened to live, you know, with some small little zoo and still had the connection, then they would be number one. And if he moved to a different place with a big zoo, then they would be number one. You get the point. So anyway, Enough of my rant about this. I apologize. I just, I get annoyed. But the top 10 zoos, and I'm actually, I'm going to do this in reverse order. Number 10, the St. Louis Zoo in St. Louis, Missouri. Number nine, the Houston Zoo in Houston, Texas. Number eight, our friends at the Columbus Zoo and Aquarium in Columbus, Ohio. Number seven, the Philadelphia Zoo in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Number six, the Audubon Zoo in New Orleans, Louisiana. Number five, the Memphis Zoo in Memphis, Tennessee. Number four, Brevard Zoo in Melbourne, Florida. Number three, and the only one on this list I haven't made it to yet, even though I drove by it recently, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Number two, Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo and Aquarium in Omaha, Nebraska. And number one, the best zoo in the country, according to people who voted, the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Garden in Cincinnati, Ohio. Yay? Anyway, those are the top 10. And like I said, there's a glaring omission. San Diego never asks anyone to vote. And thus, the 
zoo that most people in the world consider at least the best in the United States is not represented on this list. So take it with a grain of salt, but also yay Cincinnati and everyone else who won because, hey, it's never bad to be able to market yourself effectively. And that's not all, friends. They also do a top 10 zoo exhibit category. So going quickly through this, number 10, Devereaux Tiger Forest at the Detroit Zoo. Number nine, Maniac the Giant Crocodile at Reptile Gardens. Number eight, Boyd Family Asian Trek at Zoo Knoxville. Yeah, that one's real good. Number seven, California Trail at Oakland Zoo. Number six, Toyota Elephant Passage at Denver Zoo. That's, yeah, that's another real good one. Number five, Land of the Tiger, Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens. Also good. Number four, the Animal Care Center at Bush Gardens, Tampa Bay. Number three, Leod Jungle at Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo. Number two, Rocky Mountain Wild at Cheyenne Mountain Zoo. And number one, Asia Highlands at Omaha's Henry Dorley Zoo. I would just like to point out that red pandas are part of the number one zoo exhibit in the country. I know I say I don't care, but I care when it makes me happy because yay red pandas. And last but not least for these crazy lists, here are the top 10 aquariums in the country, I guess. Number 10, North Carolina aquariums, multiple locations, because if y'all don't know this, there are a bunch of North Carolina aquariums and they're all kind of one aquarium split up throughout the state. It's kind of cool and kind of frustrating when you want to see them all. Uh, number nine, Tennessee Aquarium, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Number eight, and ranked way too low in my opinion, Adventure Aquarium in Camden, New Jersey. You know I love my Adventure Aquarium, peeps. Number seven, the Newport Aquarium in Newport, Kentucky. Number six, Audubon Aquarium of the Americas, New Orleans, Louisiana. Number five, the Texas State Aquarium in Corpus Christi, Texas. Number four, Mystic Aquarium in Mystic, Connecticut. Number three, the Florida Aquarium in Tampa, Florida. Number two, Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I can vouch that all of those aquariums are really awesome. I have been to them all. They are wonderful. They're great, wonderful conservation organizations, and yay. Don't always agree with the order, but, you know, at least they're getting some, some publicity. Oh, did I not say number one? Oh, my goodness. I didn't say number one. That's because number one is the Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium in Springfield, Missouri, where I have never been but which is owned by Johnny Morris, the CEO of Bass Pro Shops, and is kind of part of a Bass Pro Shop while being its own aquarium and stuff. Um, I, I, mm, I don't know what to tell you about that. I, I need to do a little digging and find out uh, if this is like a real place or if they just got people to vote. But um, yeah, it's... it's Probably bigger than the small little fish tank that you have at most Bass Pro Shops, I guess. So, cool. Good for Wonders of Wildlife National Museum and Aquarium. All right. So, our next story is uh, out of the Columbus Zoo, our good friends at Columbus, who are also going to be appearing on an upcoming episode soon. And I'm so excited to have Columbus back on the pod. Anyway, the Columbus Zoo has obtained ZAA certification, so they're certified again, and that's really important because I'm sure if you listen, you know about the controversy and the AZA taking away their accreditation because of financial stuff and blah, blah, blah. There have been episodes of this podcast dedicated to it. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, go find the one episode where I literally just ranted about it for like 40 minutes. Anyway, um, yeah, so there are some laws in Ohio that basically say that facilities that don't have any accreditation can't have certain animals and people were worried and there was all kinds of drama behind the scenes of if this was going to have some huge impact and would they be allowed to keep things like tigers and lions and Bears, oh my. I haven't made that joke on this podcast in a long time. I'm okay with it. So anyway, um, the fact of the matter is that they got their ZAA accreditation and they're golden. So that should clear up any concerns that anybody had about that, um, even though nothing seemed to be moving in that direction anyway. And it is still widely believed that the AZA basically decided to punish them for a year and then they will get reaccredited the next time it is available. Although, who knows? So yay to our friends at Columbus. All right. So this next story comes out of the Minnesota Zoo. The Minnesota Zoo, uh, sorry, um, has announced the successful birth on Mother's Day, no less, of a litter of Amur tiger cubs. Now, Amur tigers are amongst the world's most endangered animals. And uh, so far, all the animals are doing very well. Uh, there are two males and one female. And in case you're bad at math, that means that there are three total new tigers in this litter. And uh, they are doing very well. They will, of course, continue to be monitored in the weeks ahead, and the zoo will continue to provide updates and such, but they believe that they will start to be on exhibit in the second half of July. So if you are in Minnesota in the second half of July, which is a much better time to be in Minnesota than the winter, which is when I have been in Minnesota, then you can go and see Amur Tiger Cubs. Hopefully all three will still be doing well. So, yay. And speaking of cool births, the Oklahoma City Zoo recently welcomed some Guatemalan bearded lizard hatchlings, which is not only cool because Guatemalan bearded lizards are really cool, but because it's the first time that the zoo has had a successful hatching of the breed in their entire 120-year history. Now, Guatemalan bearded lizards are critically endangered, and there are only two AZA-accredited zoos who have successfully bred this species. So this is a big deal. Hopefully, what was learned during this process can be shared with other zoos that can also then start to breed it. So congrats to everyone at the Oklahoma City Zoo. And speaking of herp births, uh, going over to the amphibian side of things, uh, the Buffalo Zoo has yet again, for the 38th year in a row, participated in the breeding and release of Puerto Rican crested toad tadpoles into the wild. Um, this year, they raised over 6,000 tadpoles for the reintroduction effort, and uh, they were shipped directly to Puerto Rico, where uh, the conservationists there picked them up and put them into ponds at dedicated reintroduction sites. This is just really cool. I, I love this kind of story so much. I know y'all know it. And um, this program has gotten so big that there are now 25 zoos in the world that are participating. And it is very strongly believed that if it was not for this program and for these 25 zoos, these species would be extinct by now. Zoos saving species, y'all. You gotta love it. 
So, on this podcast, we have been tracking the avian influenza situation that has most birds at most zoos currently off exhibit. And I have an update-ish question mark for you. Um, so first of all, at many zoos, including the Columbus Zoo, who announced this, it has been deemed that it is safe for flamingos to be out in the wild again. So a lot of zoos are starting to put their flamingos back out. But the bigger thing here is that it seems like certain areas are getting hit harder with avian influenza than others. And I know we said that from the beginning of this, but it seems to be even more drastic now. So some Zoos are going to be doing bird shows and having all their birds out, and some still have everything closed. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of curious to see what happens at the Bronx Zoo. So I'm a member of the WCS, and they just sent out a thing inviting people to come soon to celebrate an anniversary of their World of Birds exhibit. But y'all, I was just at the Bronx Zoo, and it's all still closed because of avian influenza. So I'm assuming they're planning on opening up soon, but could not get a straight answer about that. Um, I didn't try really hard, to be fair. But um, yeah, so the update is basically that avian influenza is still happening in some places, and some places have figured out that some birds are safe and others aren't, and some aren't taking any risks, and some are putting all their birds out. So uh Depending on where you are, you might be able to go see birds at a zoo, which is cool. Birds are cool. I like birds, especially corfids. Some sad news out of the Henry Villas Zoo. Um, Beefcake, the male bison that lived at the zoo, was recently humanely euthanized because of age-related health ailments. Um, they knew that his quality of life wasn't good anymore, and so they made the tough decision to euthanize Beefcake. Now, that's not sad just because, you know, every time an animal gets euthanized, it's kind of sad. But Beefcake was one of the oldest bison in the world and uh, was euthanized the day before his 25th birthday. In fact, the animal care team had already started making him a cake full of his favorite treats. Um, it's just sad that it happened at that point. But, you know, it's always sad. But the, the true, you know, lesson to take away from this is the one that we always do, which is, holy crap, Beefcake lived to be almost 25 years old and was one of the oldest bison in the world because the zoo staff took amazing care of Beefcake. Yet another example of why I constantly share these amazing stories, because the care that animals get at zoos is incredible. So this next one's weird, and I enjoy a weird story every once in a while. We've all heard of UFOs, but have you heard of the UAO, the Unidentified Amarillo Object? Uh, this is a strange figure that was caught on camera at the Amarillo Zoo, and no one has been able to figure out what it is. It kind of looks like... Uh, I think it's called a Lucaro or a Lucaro, one of the, the Pokemon that, that are out there in the, you know, world. Not the real world, but like the Pokemon world. Um, and it's it's weird. Uh, security cameras captured this image at the zoo at around 1.25 a.m. on May 21st. It's inside a perimeter fence at the zoo. Um, if... Just from looking at it, my best guess would be that it's some weird human wearing something to try and look like a werewolf because 
y'all, it totally looks like a werewolf. And I am not sitting here and saying that there is a werewolf in Amarillo, Texas, that visits the zoo. But I am saying that if there is a werewolf in this country, it definitely lives in Amarillo, Texas, and is visiting the zoo, possibly because it has stumbled upon the Rasafari podcast and is now a fan of zoos. Makes sense to me. Um, the photo is absolutely real because people have questioned it. And uh, a lot of people are trying to figure out what's going on. The zoo's kind of leaning into it and, and asking people, you know, to have fun trying to figure it out. I'll be curious to see if there's ever any resolution to this story. Um, oh, hey, guess what? Another idiot crossed a barrier at a zoo and got attacked by an animal. The actual shocking part of this story isn't that that happened, because as we all know, it happens way too often, but that it happened at an Indonesian zoo and has nothing to do with an American. I'm, I'm so proud. Anyway, in this case, um, the, uh, the man who I'm not going to name because I refuse to publicize it, uh, decided to jump over a security barrier in an effort to get video of an orangutan named Tina. Not surprisingly, Tina was not a fan of this. And when the dude got super close, Tina reached out and grabbed his leg, forcefully pulling him closer and even trying to lift him up. Now, orangutans are super freaking strong. And it ended up taking multiple people to pull him away with Tina eventually letting go. Um, but yeah, the dude wasn't actually hurt, although he was terrified and uh, also is an idiot. And I'm glad that this didn't end in tragedy for either the animal or I guess the human because that would be bad for the zoo's PR. And that's really kind of the only reason I feel that way right now. That's probably not nice to say, but whatever. And uh, yeah, so everything is okay. But um, hey, don't be stupid and do that. Thanks. It's like time for the splash zone, dude. The National Aquarium in Baltimore, Maryland, has announced an absolute baby boom as of late. Um, for starters, they announced the birth of some Mary River turtles. This is a really cool species of turtle that is found only in southeastern Queensland, Australia, and uh, are known for their unusually large tails, especially in the males of the species. Um, and these are, these are side neck turtles, if, if you know what they are. They're, they're very cool and, um, they have long necks and they they tuck their heads left or right into the edge of their shell rather than retracting, as most turtles do. And they're an endangered species, so it's really exciting that they had a bunch of births at the aquarium. They also birthed a bunch of northern red-faced turtles, which are also Australian um, species. They live mostly in northern Australian rivers, uh, though they're not restricted to one single river. Um, and yeah, they are just really beautiful turtles and I love them a lot and it's cool to see them being born. And then they also, um, had a new Hosmer's spiny tailed skink 
who they have named Marvin, which is adorable. Again, we're still talking Australia here, and uh, they are lizards that are found in Queensland and the Northern Territory. So that's pretty exciting, especially because the species is one that has viviparous birth. Um, so instead of laying eggs like most lizards, the young actually develop in their mother's body. Sound familiar? Yeah, I think we know some other species that do that. So all of these births are super cool and exciting, and um, yay, National Aquarium. Love it there. Next up, there's some cool news out of the Tropiquarium de Sauvignon in Switzerland. They have hatched the world's first ever albino Galapagos tortoise. Um, yeah, that's just so cool. It's really cute. Uh, if you go to at Crocfest, you can see pictures of it, despite it not being a croc. But um, it's real cute, it's real small, and it's real albino, y'all. And last but not least, in the Splash Zone this week, uh, Ripley's Aquariums have made history with the world's first successful birth by artificial insemination of a sand tiger shark. The, uh, the shark is named Rip after the founder of the company, um, who was a, you know, Ripley. But, um, hey, whatever. That's cool because this is really exciting news. I think a lot of people, when they think of Ripley's aquariums and realize that they're a part of Ripley's Believe It or Not and all that stuff, think that they're, like, not good. But they're actually incredible aquariums and they do a lot of work. Um, with, you know, conservation stuff and, and they're accredited and all that good stuff. Most of them, if not all of them, I haven't been to all, but all that I've been to are accredited and are good facilities. So anyway, um, sand tiger sharks have a low natural reproductive rate. Uh, in general, females only produce up to two pups, sometimes one, sometimes two, every two to three years. They're a vulnerable species right now, uh, but in certain areas are already endangered because of commercial fishing. And so the idea of getting some artificial insemination happening within sand tiger sharks is a big deal. Along with not having that many pups at any given time, sand tiger sharks also have a gestation period that lasts anywhere from eight to 12 months. So this is a huge detail. Uh, Rip is going to be living behind the scenes, uh, at least for now, at the Ripley's Marine Science Research Center. And then at some point, he might end up going on exhibit at Ripley's Aquarium of Myrtle Beach. Uh, but regardless of whether he does or not, this is a huge deal for the future of sand tiger sharks. Conservation, conservation, news time. Oh, yeah. So we're going to start off conservation news this week with some sad news. There has been a very sharp decline in um, North Sea puffin populations that is causing a lot of concern to conservationists. In the mid-2000s, nearly 30% of all puffins disappeared, and since then, the population has actually been steadily growing, which sounds good, but not nearly to where it used to be, which is problematic. See, the thing is, conservationists believe that for a variety of reasons, despite that huge drop-off in the population, the puffins would have been able to recover if it wasn't for, you guessed it, 
humans, global warming, and coastal erosion, and pollution, and overfishing of the puffins' favorite food, sand eels, is being blamed for their inability to return to the numbers that they had been at at the height of their population. Currently, conservationists are working on a puffin census, which would be one of the cutest censuses that you could do, I I would think. Censuses? Sensin? Sensei? Anyway, um, but uh, they're still not entirely finding any good signs of what's going on. And it seems like at this point, the, the biggest issues are all the human stuff that I said. So um, without some some federal protections, uh, you know, in the lands where these birds are nesting, uh, the population may continue to increase slowly. But as those things get worse, may even start to decrease and may go from vulnerable to a worse situation. Now, we've mentioned WCS on this podcast before. They're the the organization that runs these zoos in New York City, and uh, they do all kinds of cool conservation work around the globe. Um, Ron McGill basically said uh, from Zoo Miami back in that interview that started this season that he looks at them as the the pinnacle of, of zoo-based conservation work. And uh, they recently – rescued 982 eggs of Cantor's giant soft-shelled turtles, which are a species of turtle that have all but vanished across their former territory in Vietnam and Thailand, thanks to poaching and um, the pet trade. Um, They were, in fact, believed to be extinct and then were rediscovered in uh, those areas in 2007. Um, Of those eggs... 580 hatched and were then head-started, and those 580 have now been re-released into the muddy waters of the Mekong River, where they used to live. Um, One fun little story about this is that as the conservationists released the turtles, they had children help them to learn about saving the species and not going after them. Uh, And they also had local monks bless the turtles before they were released back into the wild. Now, that's a different conservation strategy than I've ever tried, but uh, hey, I'm here for it. All joking aside, though, getting local culture involved with conservation is important. So it's actually really cool that they did that. Um, WCS Cambodia is doing some great work, y'all. The Seattle-Tacoma International Airport has teamed up with the AZA and the Wildlife Tracking Alliance, along with um, some of the zoos in the area, including Woodland Park Zoo and Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium, uh, to unveil a first-of-its-kind interactive installation to help stop wildlife trafficking. Um, The idea behind it is it's an educational display that empowers international travelers to prevent wildlife trafficking in how they shop, eat, and experience cultures while abroad. The display shares examples of confiscated illegally trafficked materials and information about how animal species are in decline due to the illegal wildlife trade. It also shares the positive impacts of conservation and educational efforts. In the end, it asks anybody who's using it to um, pledge to be a savvy traveler who makes choices that help save endangered animals around the world. Education's important, y'all, and... Let's face it, we all get kind of bored when we're sitting at the airport. So hopefully this installation has uh, has an impact. Maybe we can get more of these in more airports, especially the international ones. 
One of America's most endangered birds is the Florida grasshopper sparrow, uh, which you heard talked about in the interview way back in season one with uh, Kelly Courier. Anyway, these amazing birds who I've gotten to see, and they they really are very cool, and 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 you know they're just they're just beautiful. Uh, they are really heavily endangered. However. Just recently, White Oak Conservation has released 12 new Florida grasshopper sparrows back into the wild, including the 500th and 501st. Uh, this is really exciting. The Conservation Recovery and Release Program for Florida Grasshopper Sparrows um, is is going well. They were on the brink of extinction, and now they just put 500, well, not just, but over, over the time of this program, have put 501 back out into the wild with more to come. Uh, this is a huge win for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services, White Oak Conservation, the Fish and Wildlife Foundation of Florida, and their partners. Very cool. And speaking of very cool, uh, federal officials have agreed to update Florida manatees' protected habitat for the first time in 50 years. Now, y'all know this is a big deal because manatees have been dying off at a ridiculous rate lately. Basically, what this means in simple terms is that the last time that um, the government looked at where manatees live in order to protect those areas was in 19. 19- 78. And as you can imagine, um, the those places have changed a lot in the last 45 years, uh, both where the manatees are and just what the situation, you know, is in those locations where they still are, including um, how much seagrass is still around and whether they have access to warm water springs, which manatees need. By both finding these areas where the manatees still live, but the lands aren't really supporting them anymore, and protecting them and helping to grow new seagrass and all that, they should help save the manatees there. And also, by finding new places where manatees live, where they didn't live 45 years ago, and protecting those areas, the manatees there will be safer as well. So this is a really big win for manatees. And that brings us to... It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, all right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the park on other news. Our first story for other news this week comes out of. Oh, wait, this isn't The Onion. I thought it was The Onion, the comedy news site. But no, it is a true story that a California court has ruled that four species of bees are fish. Bees. Fish. Yep, this is real. Uh, So this is a uh, situation that involves the legal definition of bees when it comes to the California Endangered Species Act. This is basically... Really dumb, y'all. But basically, what it comes down to is that in California, there are certain rules about what can and cannot be listed as an endangered species. And um, the California Fish and Game Commission wanted to list four bumblebee species, the crotch, the western, the suckley, cuckoo, and the Franklin species, as endangered, because it seems that they are endangered. Um, But... 
the way the law is worded was kind of hard for them to do that. And so they said that bees are invertebrates, which is all that matters when the um, California Endangered Species Act is considering whether something is a fish or not. Therefore, these four bumblebee species are endangered fish. The law has a requirement of what types of animals can and can't be listed, and fish can, and I guess bugs can't, and so now bees are fish, so they can be endangered. Um, Laws are weird, courts are weird, bees aren't fish, but if it saves these four species, then bees are super fishy, just hella fishalicious. I am all about this. On the other hand, if I ever hear any fish sticks buzzing, I'm going to be concerned. But yeah, this is just one of those things that you kind of have to laugh at or else you'll cry when you realize that these are the same courts uh, upon which the um, foundations of our democracy lie. But bees are fish, y'all. The Save a Fox Rescue has gone viral because they have a pair of lesbian foxes, Esme and Mala. And since I just put out the Queer Ducks episode, I'm extra excited about this. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a cute story of, of two lesbian foxes that have gone viral during Pride Month and are getting more awareness to Save a Fox Rescue, which is a really cool rescue home for domestic foxes that cannot be be released into the wild. Uh, It's in Minnesota, and you can check them out at saveafox underscore rescue. And I really love watching the photos and videos that they post. On a side note, um, I just said underscore, and then I had to pause recording to make sure that I had said the right word, because an underscore is also a thing in theatrical music where you play under someone talking. And so you have to play especially quietly, especially if you are the drummer, which is me. But hey, it is both things, and that's my life, and uh, yay. And y'all, we are running really long this week, so uh, I have a few more really cool other news stories, but I'm going to save them for another week so that you tune back in. Um, And let's get on to... All right, so a friendly reminder that June is Zoo and Aquarium Month, Our World Oceans Month, and Orca Month. And uh, then the 9th to the 15th is World Sea Turtle Week. And if you haven't checked out the recent episode from Adventure Aquarium all about their sea turtles, well, shame on you, and you should. And then for this week, all we have as an individual day is that on the 13th, it's Pigeon Day. So that's exciting, especially if you're a pigeon. All right, and that's it for your animal holidays for the week. All right, so there you have it, folks. Another week of Rot Safari Zoo News is in the books. Um, I'm really, really excited to have shared all of that with you, and I'm so thankful to everybody who contributed. First of all, to Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patron. I appreciate you. And then to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Jacob Newman, and first-time contributor Cindy Ritter, I want to say thank you for uh, contributing stories to this week's episode. I appreciate y'all so much. 
So make sure that you're back here on Tuesday, where I'll be bringing you my interview with Bobby Brink uh, from Lions, Tigers, and Bears, which is a really unique facility out in California. Um, Yeah, we're heading back west for another California episode, and I think you're going to really like this one. It's it's a little different than what we normally do, but it's also kind of some of the same. You'll see what I mean when you listen. See, that entices you to listen. I'm, I'm very good at this question mark. Anyway, uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you for listening. I appreciate y'all so much. And remember, friends, the phrase Newsy Credits Backwards is Steiderk Yeswen. The Ross Safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.